All right, well, good morning and welcome. Thanks for being here today, whether uh, you're in here in the sanctuary. Thank you very much. Um, Or with us online. Sorry, I get kind of thirsty, so I just brought a little extra hydration with me. Hydration is key. Uh, My name is Eric Lenz, and uh, I'm a part of the teaching team here, and I'm excited to continue in this series about emotions and family. Now, whether it's holiday season or long weekends or really just any day, I think all of us can relate to the ups and downs of emotions in family. I found this quote by Alistair Groves that I felt just put it perfectly. It says, the things you love drive the feelings you have. The things we love drive the feelings you have. And and family being one of the deepest things that we love and care about, I feel like stir our emotions the deepest. And and whether you have family immediately around you, or maybe it's even just the idea of family, if you have no nuclear family to to speak of and where you're at in your, your stage of life or whatever it is. So the things we love drive the feelings we have. Now, as we're talking about uh, emotions and family, it's important to understand that emotions are good. It's human. It's the way God designed us to be and to live. Uh, But it's critical to understand that emotions are gauges, not guides. So just like I wouldn't use my fuel gauge to navigate to the nearest gas station, uh, I, we, we don't want to use our emotions and feelings to, to guide us. Because what can happen is when we use our emotions to guide us in different facets of life, we can end up in unhealthy and destructive uh, situations. So feelings give us valuable information. They are gauges that help us to see what's going on under the hood so that we can keep the engine running smoothly, so to speak. Now, today I'm teaching on the emotion anger. So, if uh, you have a heartbeat, you can probably relate to this topic. It's something we all experience, and sometimes in different ways. And I I, I jumped at the chance to teach on this purely because I have the most to learn. So, I'm going to share with you what I've been learning and working on, and hopefully it will benefit you as well. Now, anger can be like a hammer. It can be destructive. And, And I feel like it can be one of the most destructive emotions in family. It can... uh, it can cause broken relationships, anxiousness, uh, tears, the, a sense of guarded feeling in the house. Spouses can feel crushed and disabled. When our kids continually have anger towards their family, it can ruin relationships and quite honestly, it can ruin their future. And sadly, there are grown adults still today paying for decisions they made decades ago as a result of bottled up anger towards their family. And parents, when we have this constant sense of anger for whatever reason it is in our household, uh, whether it's the stresses of the world or our workplace or whatever it is, and we just are constantly at a boiling point, our kids interpret that constant anger as, what's wrong with me? Having a whole host of effects on them and their lives. So to put it this way, living in anger is a slow and continual death of the things that can bring us life. There are so many things in family that are meant and designed to bring us life, and anger will quickly uh, diffuse those. So the goal today is to take a look at the root cause of anger, why some typical anger management techniques don't work for us, and maybe some practical guide rails we can put in place to keep us away from that cliff of destructive anger in our family. 
Now, this, uh, this first picture here, I feel like, really shows how uh, we would imagine experiencing anger, right? We've maybe either felt this or seen someone that has uh, looked like this in their anger or their rage. Uh, but the thing with anger is it pops up in so many different ways and sometimes kind of sneaky ways, it's hard to identify. So I have a few different uh, made-up personalities that I've made up here, or that I've kind of conjured up here to help us relate to how anger emerges. So the first one, slow simmer Sally. It might be a week, it might be 10 years, everything's fine. No, really, it's fine. It's fine. Until it's not. And then, like a tiger pouncing out of the jungle, it hits you before you even know what happened, and it's far too late at that point. So they bottle up, bottle up, bottle up, and then all of a sudden, there is an explosion, and you better watch out. Slow simmer sallies. The next one, Ned the Nibblers. This is a little bit of a disturbing picture, I'm sorry. <laughs> they hang on to bitterness as if it were their lifeline. And they just take these little nibbles, these little tiny bites out of the people around them. And they just nibble away, nibble away to feed the seething anger inside. That's just always this undercurrent. And it's just what they use to feed it and feed it and feed it. And so then it grows and grows and grows. And so they just take these little bites out of the people around them. Never anything absolutely direct, very subtle in how they do it. Maybe a little bit sneaky in how they just take these bites. And then their family's just walking around with bite marks on them all the time, figuratively. Ned the Nibblers. Next, Hair Trigger Hank. We've probably all known someone like this. The wind blows the wrong direction and they're off on a rant. And most people just know to stay out of the blast radius of Hair Trigger Hanks on a daily basis because it just doesn't end up well. Next, uh, this is probably my favorite picture here, Vern the Venom Sprayer. I don't know why, I, like I think that's just so funny. At the tipping point, all innocent and guilty bystanders are showered with toxic word shrapnel. There is zero restraint and 100% damage at the boiling point. And internal IRA, finally here. Anger results in self-destruction. Anger shuts them down. Everything is directed inward. And even though they're angry at the situation, angry at what happened, the constant message in their head is, I deserve this. I'm a bad person, and I deserve this. I don't deserve anything good. And so then it, all of that anger turns inward and results in destruction of self. Now, this is not a comprehensive list. There are many other ways that anger emerges in, in different packages that it emerges in. But the danger of anger is that it is so destructive because it demands action now. When something has gone wrong, when something happens to us, there's been some injustice of some rules we've made up or that exist in real life or whatever it is that demands action now, when we can think least clearly. Physiologically, what's happening when we get angry is our body is flooded with a, host, a whole host of uh, different hormones. So first of all, adrenaline and noradrenaline, which affect our blood pressure and our physical tension, and then also this wonderful hormone called cortisol that actually blocks the functioning of our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of your brain that affects rational decision making. So it inhibits the part of your brain that says, no, don't do that. That's dumb. And then you put two and two together. We have destructive uh, tendencies that follow. Now, if you need any examples of this, please just pull up any social media platform and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. So this is why anger is so destructive in the moment and why it causes us to then later think, why did I do that? So physiologically, that's why. 
So now that we've established what anger is and why it's important to, to get a grasp on, let's take a look at the root cause of anger, the, the reason for continual anger uh, in our lives when we experience it. Now, here's an important truth, and hang with me here. Nobody makes you angry. Nobody makes you angry. Now, I remember the first time I heard this, and I thought, no, I'm pretty sure that person that cut me off in traffic really made me angry. (laughs) But the truth of it is, actually, nobody makes you angry. When we look at what the Bible has to say about anger, which there are plenty of examples, uh, we find some interesting things. So in Proverbs 15.1, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, if any of you have like, been boiling a pot of chili or something like that, and it's been on the stove and unattended on too high of heat, we know that that crust forms at the bottom, and it gets kind of gooey and a little bit darker. And then you go to stir the pot, and you really just keep stirring and stirring, and then all of that stuff surfaces up from the bottom. At that point, you're not adding anything new to the pot, but what you're doing is you're surfacing what's already in there. And this is what happens when we get stirred up by the people around us. There, there's nothing new being added to the pot, added into us, but it's stirring up what's already within us. And this is a critical thing to understand, because what it does is it allows us then to be in control of our anger. Because if it's always a result of external sources, we are out of control of it. And we'll probably be out of control. But when we understand that it's just emerging what's within, it allows us to be able to do some of the work inside to take care of things. Let me give you a little example of this. Right here, in my drinking jar here. Um, This would be great for like a big glass of orange juice in the morning. I should probably think about it. Anyway, so... In the jar here, we have this clear liquid, and this represents what love is and what really should be and what God designed. And when I think about love, I think about a verse we hear at weddings all the time in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verse 5. And that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, It does not dishonor others with its words and its actions. It's not self-seeking, but rather selfless. And it's not easily angered. And here, even the the Greek root word here, easily angered, that word anger, and when it appears elsewhere in the Bible, it means to be stirred up. And so this clear liquid represents what love is meant to be and what it should be. But there is one ingredient that makes love toxic. The ingredient that makes love toxic is fear. And so we all have this human desire to be valued, to be loved, to be wanted, to be respected, to be honored. But then there's this fear deep inside of us waiting at the very bottom when we get stirred up that This fear that we aren't loved, that we aren't honored, that we aren't respected, that we aren't valued or noticed. And it's just waiting there in the bottom. 
And so David Liberian, he's a, a psychologist and an author, he said this. He wrote this book called Never Get Angry Again. I laughed when I read the title because I thought, really, never again? But he really had some valuable insights in this, and I thought this was really cool. He said, uh, uh, I totally lost my spot. There we go. <laughs> Anger begins when we convince ourselves that somebody else's behavior is a reflection of my self-worth. Anger begins when we convince ourselves that somebody else's behavior, somebody else's words, is a reflection of our self-worth. So in the situation, what happens is, you know, there are, there are times when people stir us a little bit. They do something, and it's like, oh, you know, I can brush that off. That doesn't really get me too riled up, you know. And maybe we don't care about their opinion. But then there's the people that, boy, they, we really do care about for one reason or other, whether it's family or whether it's other people. And they just digs deep in there. And we, whatever their words or actions, it gets directed at that fear at the bottom that we aren't loved, we're not valued, we're not honored, we're not respected. And we direct the dialogue of what is happening in that situation towards our fears, our deepest fears, that every human has at the deep in the bottom of them. And what happens is this fear just gets stirred up within us and then boils over this toxic liquid into the people around us and in our lives. And it just pollutes the love that's intended in us and around us and in our family. And this is what happens when we get angry, is we get stirred up. But it's stirring up what's already there. That fear that's there, that we're not loved and respected and honored. Let me give you an example of this, a recent discussion that my wife and I had. Now, we, me and my, uh, my wonderful tact here. So I had one of those rebate things, you know, that you're supposed to mail in by a certain date. And so I had set it out on the counter because there were some other things that she was going to mail. And I said, hey, this is due in a few days. Would you mind mailing this out with the other stuff? And she said, yeah, sure. So I was cleaning the counter off about a week or so later, and my wife, Becky, she was standing there in the kitchen, and I was cleaning things off, and I came across the rebate thing, which was now past due, and I saw it, and and my immediate reaction was just like, oh, she forgot to mail it, and I was just thinking, like, does anybody listen to me right in this house? You know, like, sometimes it feels that way, and so I just, like, immediate response, I just went, oh, you didn't mail this? Oh, it's overdue, Right? poor, like, job on my part, right? I shouldn't have done that. I was directing the story of her uh, not mailing that is uh, that she doesn't respect me. She doesn't listen to me. She doesn't care about me, whatever it is. That was kind of where that story was being directed. And then Becky, receiving that wonderful message from me, then her response was, do you not realize how much I do around here, right? Which had nothing to do with the mail at all, right? This was like totally to do with both of our like fear, insecurity stuff at the bottom of the jar. And then this was right before Christmas time, right? When everything is going on and it's super busy. And this is a silly mail-in rebate we're talking about here, right? But so it's directed at her fear of not being enough or not being a good mom or a good wife or whatever it is. And then so there's this exchange that goes back and forth and the temperature of the argument goes higher and higher and higher to this boiling point over a mail-in rebate. Like, totally silly. But you can see the pattern of what happens, and you can think of probably the last time that you were angry or upset. That's what's at the root cause of it. So the extent to which we can take our ego out of the situation is the extent to which we will be able to manage our anger. The extent to which we can take our ego out of the situation is the extent to which we will be able to manage our anger. And you see, where do we get this? 
This isn't some self-help thing. This is exactly how Jesus lived his life. You look in the gospel and how he interacted with the people around him and how he responded to the hurt and the pains that he experienced. As uh, 100% God, but 100% human as well, he experienced the same emotions and feelings that we do today. And in the face of deep ridicule and hurt and deep cutting betrayal from those that were closest to him, In the face of those things, it wasn't about him proving that he was God to everyone. It wasn't about him proving that he was God to everyone. But it was about him proving God's love for everyone. You see, the ego was out of the picture. And it allowed him to respond productively when he experienced that anger and that frustration. So here are some ways that this mindset change might work as we understand what the root cause is of anger when we get stirred up so that we can respond productively. Parents, maybe you have older kids who are disrespectful or rebellious or making harmful decisions. Or maybe you have younger kids who just won't listen or follow directions. Or you have to tell them 15 times to brush their teeth and it's still not done. Or like, hey, let's get our shoes on. And then 15 minutes later, nobody has shoes or coats on. You know, those standard parenting things that happen. But in the moment, understanding that their actions are not a reflection of your self-worth. Their actions are not a reflection of your worth as a parent or as a person. can help us to respond productively in that situation. You know, with our older kids, maybe we can respond calmer and in love and maybe out of concern for them rather than making demands for the preservation of our ego. Or with the little ones, to respond productively, to help them understand how to honor mom and dad, so that we can build them up to be thoughtful and respectful rather than destroying their spirit as we drill the story into their heads that day in and day out that they are screw-ups, that they can't do anything right. But rather finding ways to set them up for success in those situations. Taking our ego out of the picture and maybe looking at how can we situate this to, to maybe just set them up for success better. Or kids, whether you're adult kids or whether you're teenage kids or whether you're little kid kids. Parents sometimes do things that are hurtful in words or actions because everyone is human and everyone messes up. But we need to realize that those hurtful things are a result of the pain and the hurt and the shame and the fear inside of them, probably more so than it has to do with you. Now, everyone has their own individual responsibility, and this is an scapegoat to not look in the mirror sometimes. But we need to understand that the actions of people oftentimes have to do with the hurt and the pain inside of them. And while their actions affect you, they do not determine you. While their actions affect you, they do not determine your self-worth. They do not determine your value. And even as adults, no matter how old you are, there are still things that people carry around for many years and decades that their parents said and did towards them. And we need to understand that their actions and their words do not determine your value. And this understanding can help us take our ego out of the situation and respond in situations productively rather than destructively. 
So there's just a few ways that we can apply this understanding of, of looking at the root cause, this fear that gets stirred up in us and just pollutes the love that is really intended in family. Now, it is unavoidable. You are not going to get what you want in life. It's going to happen. But dealing with it productively is critical. And this will never happen if we feel the need to prove ourselves, to prove our worth, to prove our value, our authority, our power, whatever it is in every single interaction. Destruction of relationships and ourselves will follow. It is not a sustainable way to live. It is a slow and painful way to die. So now that we've looked at the root cause of fear and how we can really just deal with that continual, or the root cause of anger and deal with that continual fear that we write the story towards, that we direct the situation towards our deepest fears and situations that causes anger to emerge. When we've looked at the root cause, now I want to provide just maybe a few practical, uh, I call guide rails to just keep us away from that cliff of destructive anger in our family. Now, typically, I like to give maybe two, three points tops of what we're really going to remember a week from now. I have six. So my instructions for you is pick one that meets you where you're at. Just one, okay? You have to remember one out of six. Man, who wouldn't have liked those odds in math class in school? I would have loved that. That would be great. So pick one out of six and just forget the rest. So here are a few practical ideas to just kind of put in place some guide rails in your life. The first one, stop. Just stop for a minute, okay? In the moment anger emerges, it is critical to know that you might just need to stop and take a deep breath. When your body is flooded with all those stress hormones, sometimes just taking a walk, doing something physical, do 50 push-ups, and then come back to the argument, or the, I'm sorry, the discussion uh, that you're having at that time. And sometimes what that physical movement can do is it helps get all of that stress hormone out of our body so we can think a little bit clearly and calm down a little bit. Uh, that's a, a very productive and very good thing. But sometimes it's good to know when you need to time out when things are getting heated. Number two, name it to tame it. Here is the, the, the root of every time we get angry is I'm not getting what I want. That's it. I mean, it just comes down to that. I'm not getting what I want. That's at the root of all anger. And sometimes if we can just name what it is that we're not getting that we want, it, it can help bring the temperature of things down. Name the problem. Don't name call, though. That's important. Don't call names. That's not helpful ever. Just name the problem, okay? Um, th that can be helpful in just bringing the temperature of the conflict down. Number three, remember, you only have to pick one. Number three, clean the pot. It can be difficult to let others feel good about themselves when we don't feel good about ourselves. And sometimes we carry around so much shame and guilt and hurt from the things that life throws our way. Sometimes we need to do the work to really dig that stuff up and deal with it. Because otherwise, it just gets squeezed out and spilled over on the, our family and the people around us. And you are not the only one. Every single person has some of that they deal with. And it might mean talking to a friend. It might mean talking to a professional. It might mean whatever it is. But the best way to get, take care of it is just to get it out. Number four. 
leave some margin. I actually learned this from our realtors. We were looking at Luke and Becky Bartlett. I, we were looking at a house, um, and <laughs> I was like, I was there looking at the house, and then I called Becky, and I was like, hey, uh, I think this might be a good one for us. And so she brought the kids over, and we were just talking about the scramble that happens when you're trying to leave, and how immediately it just elicits this anger sometimes of like, why is nobody putting their shoes on? I said it five times, you know, or what, you know, it's just whatever it is, like when we're trying to leave. And she said, uh, Becky Bartlett, she said, she's like, yeah, I, that happens to us too. And she's like, and then I realized if I just leave a little bit of margin, I tend to be much more patient in those situations. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that has changed. When we do that, that has changed things quite a bit for us. It's just leaving some margin. Becky and I are taskmasters. We like to get things done, and if there's space in the schedule, why not fill it up? And that usually is not a good recipe for us. So intentionally leaving margin in our schedules. Don't let the colors touch on the calendar. That can be a good, good strategy. Number five, correct the behavior Preserve the relationship. In Proverbs 15.1, that verse I read earlier, it says, A soft word turns away wrath, even if they are dropping the ball on something. We don't have to crush their spirit to correct their behavior. Andy Stanley said this, and, and I felt like, man, this just hit me pretty deep here. It says, Kindness is loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Kindness is loaning someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. Boy, that's what family should be. There are plenty of things outside the doors of your house that will do exactly the opposite of build them up and fill them up. And family needs to be a source of strength. And that's one way we can do that. And finally, number six, remember, pick one. Number six on the list here is don't replay and rehearse. Now, I heard this one when I was in early elementary school when I was crawling around the floor of a sanctuary during a church service because I was that kid. Sorry, Mom and Dad. And I, but I was listening. I really was, I promise. So I remember the pastor talking about this, and he was talking about don't replay situations in your head and don't rehearse what you would say. Okay, we do that when we are hurt or we have pain from a situation, whatever. We replay that situation over and over and over again. And then we think about what we would say if we had another chance to say it. Or if we saw them again, we would say this. And then we rehearse that. And we even say what we would say. Just don't do that. That's not a good idea. That will bring the temperature up so fast and so high that if anybody bumps you, they are just going to get sprayed with all of that venom inside of you, that buildup, that toxicity from that. Just don't do that. And it's hard. That's easier said than done. We have to re- redirect our thoughts in the moment of, nope, I am not going to do that. Nope, I am not going to do that. The only person that hurts is you. When we choose to replay and rehearse, the only person that hurts is you. And then we end up spilling that out on everybody else around us. So hopefully there's one of those six that meets you where you're at. It's just maybe a practical guide rail to keep you from that cliff of destruction, destructive anger in your family. Now listen carefully here. We all mess up. We all mess up. Own it and apologize for it. There's always a way to move towards restoration. 
always. Sometimes it takes consistency and patience. But there's always a way to move towards restoration. If we mess up, no, when we mess up, the repair conversation is so important. There's always a way to move towards restoration. So in closing here, I'd like to close with really the end of this uh, passage in 1 Corinthians that I feel like <laughs> sums things up so well of what family should be. So in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, It, love, always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. The better we understand and manage our emotions is the best way that we can protect our family. It is the best way to build a sense of trust in our family, to foster hope and to preserve the love that God has given us to share within our families. Family needs to be a source of strength, not weakness, a source of life. And managing our anger, this work of doing this and understanding how to deal with this, the root cause, and putting some practical guidelines in place, it is so critical. When we understand these root causes and these, these things we can do to safeguard our family and ourselves, to tame our anger, when we do this, when we commit to this, everyone benefits. And, and honestly, I just want to invite you to join me on the journey. And it is not easy work, but it is good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. God, for your love and your goodness. God, that no matter where we're at, no matter what we bring into the room, God, you love us regardless of that. You see us for who we truly are, who you've made us to be. And God, I pray that right now in this moment of worship that follows, God, that you would open our eyes to how you see us, who you've called us to be. And God, that we could just accept that love from you and that we would know deep inside that we are wonderfully made. God, that we are fiercely loved by you, the one true God. And that is the only voice that should matter in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, in our spirits, God. And that that would just resonate so deep within us. And God, I just pray that as we walk out of the doors today, as we work on managing these, these human emotions, these things, and in particular anger, Lord, that you would just give us the wisdom and the insight to be able to just live and love and to tame those things, to be able to, to be productive with those emotions and not destructive, to live healthy, uh, to have a healthy family situation and wherever we're at, Lord. God, we love you and we thank you for the families you've given us and just pray that you'd help us to be good stewards of that. In Jesus' name, amen.